Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you to go with me. We're going to be looking to 2 Kings in just a moment. So if you would go there, you will be ready. There will be some scriptures I'll be slipping in and out of. Today, we, and I just want to again reiterate uh, opportunity for prayer time, the half hour following our service, prayer time uh, outside next week. Uh, they've made some changes in regulations, so more can come in, so there shouldn't be any restrictions for those. Uh, we've been every week turning folk away. If you're not basically signed in by Wednesday, you're not. Um, but now that won't be so much the case, so it closes now. At fri- it always did at Friday at noon, but it always we booked out before then. Uh, so with the new numbers, we shouldn't have any problems. We can get uh, uh, a fair few more into the sanctuary, into the building. So we look forward to that. We have children's ministry running throughout the whole summer. We are not one of those churches that stop ministry to children. We have it throughout the summer. We invest in our children. They are our children. We, uh, we pray for them as our children. So uh, that will be available when you come at 10 o'clock, children's ministry, is available, and if you need more information about that, if you're not familiar with it, uh, just uh, get a hold of the church. This is probably more information for those live streaming who might be looking to come back. That is available, again, every Sunday morning. That's not changed. We have been on a, an extensive journey as a church for the last 36 weeks, over 36 weeks. We started first week of October, in a project that has largely defined us called Doing Life Together. It has defined a lot of things in our ministry, and it came out of where we began to look and ask ourselves some tough questions. Why do we do what we do? And is what we're doing of eternal consequence? Is the value of building up for eternity, or are we just doing church? Many who maybe don't attend church see churches as a club, as a place to just, you know, maybe get an encouragement or it's a religion to be a part of. That's really not accurate. Church is a gathering of people whose hearts are committed to God that no longer serve themselves but serve Him. The moral laws that we have as a land have been established by God. Now, they are changing. When a people turn away from God, they turn away from the moral values that define them. We rewrite our own values. And we do that. You've heard the, the, the reference uh, when you change history. Some call it cancellation. I call it historical revisionism. If you can revise our history, you can change the future. Because the future is based on a direction taken, has a building built. Knock out all the foundations and you can build it whatever way you want it. So that is what secularism, humanism will do. It's what happened in Marxism. You can go back and study Marxism. There's an interesting study that Marxism, get rid of God, get rid of that authority, and you can rewrite, and then rewrite the background, rewrite the background, you can change where you go. We need to be very careful, and there's some things that have not been 
that have not been of God in our laws. That's why we are called to keep, we do have a, we do have a mandate. We are not left wandering. And the mandate is God has given us scripture. The scripture has been proven over and over again. And the authority of God's word, we believe the authority of his word that he inspired certain people to write now not just thoughts, but write down the full intent of his heart for situations, stories, doctrines, and that becomes our direction, our guide. Now, I really didn't want to spend a lot of time on that, but the reason I take that is that's where when, when things shifted as they did globally about a year and a half ago, we as a local body began to just go back to those questions, what is our purpose? And our purpose, we began to redefine our purpose, redefine our purpose, and in doing that, it kind of, we tweaked the direction. The tweaking of the direction is that God has called us to be engaged in each other's lives. We are not called to separate. Faith is not meant to be put under a bushel and hide. My faith in the Lord is not meant to, to simply be, well, it's my personal thing and it's nobody else's business. My personal faith should, should alter everybody who comes into contact with me life just by how I live my faith, because of the gentleness, because of the love, because of the, the peace that is in my heart, because of the prayer as I join together and I journey together and we pace together. That should define people around me. That is what part of being the body is. And so doing life together in a time that we've been separated, I think was very strategic. Uh, and so we've been doing it. This is 36 weeks. This actually is the last of the 36 the last of the three, we talked a little bit of worship, but the last three, today being the third, we've talked about what it means to return, to return to God. And I've used illustrations, one illustration of a dead man, Lazarus, having come back to life, he returned. Jesus speaking what it meant if the, when the thief has come and stolen from you, what does it look like when you get back what he's stolen? And Jesus talks about he's come to give life and life to the fullest. The text that we really launched our series was a prophecy from Zechariah. And it was really prophesied for two eras. One era has already been, the second era we're living in. The era that already was, was that return to the Lord and he'll return to you. The people had gone into exile. They'd lost their way. But he said, don't lose sight of it. They were just going through the motions, going through the motions, going through the motions, feeling like God had, God was aloof. He was out there in the cosmos somewhere, maybe at best, but he was no longer interested in their lives. He was not changing things in a daily, on a daily basis. And Zechariah was prophesying, saying, if you return to the Lord because your hearts have gone other places, if you return to him, he will return to you. And the second part of that is the dispensation you and I live in right now. 2021, that there has been a waywardness, there has been a turning away from God. If you return to him with your whole heart, watch, he delights in returning to us. And if you know, if you, if you have the question, is it too late to return? There's a very simple way to answer that question. Very simple way. Here's how you do it. Is it too late to return to him? You take your pulse, and if you can feel something, it's not too late. Okay, if you're alive, it's not too late. You can return. 
This is the story we're getting over and over and over again. And it's a call. It's the last call. It's a clarion call. And so the story where we talked last week of some lepers. And again, I'm on lepers again. And uh, I promise you I'm going to get off of lepers. I, I don't have a thing about lepers. I really don't. But this story all intertwines with itself. I can only really give the first part last week, the second part this week. So last week, if you remember, um, who was the army general? Somebody remember his name. Talk to me here. Naaman. Naaman. Naaman's his name. And Naaman had leprosy. He was dying of leprosy. He was told to go see the man of God. God could change your trajectory of wherever you are headed right now. He can change it. Praise God. Praise God for all of us. Praise God. He changes our lives. And so Naaman went to Elisha to talk to him about it. Elisha sent Gehazi, his servant, out and told him to go jump in the river, meaning dip in the Jordan seven times. Naaman went away very angry because he was a man of prominence. Elisha didn't have the courtesy to even talk to him in person told him to dip in a dirty river, which really poked at his inner core pain of uncleanness, and did it through a servant. So he went away angry, and he had some caring men around you. Praise God for the people. This is where we do life together. People, iron sharpens iron. Somebody around him said, you know, if the prophet had asked you to do a difficult thing, you would have done it. But it seems silly to go to the river and dip seven times. That's why you're not doing it. Let's admit it. That's why you're not doing it. Why don't you just do it? What have you got to lose? So he did. And when he came up the seventh time, the scripture says his skin was just like a child. He was cleansed. He was healed. So transformed was Naaman. He went back. He was, he was ready to unload all his goods. But Elisha wouldn't be bought. This was not about that. So Elisha said, no, 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 thank you. Uh, God bless you. And off you go. And off he went. He was a changed man. While he's leaving, Gehazi, now here's what the story, we're going to pick up with Gehazi, we're going to sit on him for a while today. Gehazi went after him, the servant, because he was, he was motivated by a spirit of greed, a want, a have and a have not. He went after him, he said, by the way, master changed his mind, uh, he's going to take, I'll take this, this, this. And he took the goods, lied, he took the goods and he hid them, Gehazi hid them. Went back to Elisha. I said last week, you never go to a man of God, a woman of God, with anything hidden. Don't go before God with anything hidden. He went before Elisha. Elisha says, where have you been? And he says, nowhere. It's actually what he says, nowhere. And Elisha says, you lied. The leprosy that was on Naaman now is on you. He transferred it all to him, his wife, and his children. It's believed he was older. He's grown children. His grown children. He immediately had advanced stages of leprosy. The story ended. Chapter 5 ended. We come in today and we are picking up chapter 6. There's a seven-year famine that has taken place across the land, that whole region. But it had taken its toll not only on the Samaritans, but the city, the Samaritan city that we're focusing in on here when we get to verse chapter seven or chapter 6 down to verse 24 that there's a city here in Samaria. Inside the city, the enemy decided to attack it during this famine. The enemy was not so much in a time. The, the region was in a famine. And the city was sieged, and they were under siege, and they were starving to death in the city. Back, Remember, the cities back then had walls around them, and so you fortified yourselves in. The enemy had to knock down the walls or go over the walls to get to you. 
And this city was under siege. It had been under siege. They were in a famine, seven-year famine, under siege. Food was so scarce. Pick this up. Food was so scarce that people were paying two pounds of silver for a donkey's head. Now, I have to ask a question here. Just We'll have a discussion afterward if somebody raises their hand. How many here has ordered donkey head before? Usually I get somebody who will put their hand up on that one. But um, meaning that, no, they don't, but they just want to be defiant. Donkey head. Now, think about it. I just, is there much good eating off of a donkey head? I don't know. I guess it's better than nothing. But here's the point. Two pounds of silver for a donkey's head. That's how hungry they are. And it gets worse. Some were so hungry. Verse 25, the King James Version said they paid two ounces of silver for a cup of dove dung. A cup of it. That's a lot of dove dung. And they were willing to pay two ounces of silver for a cup of dove dung. Now, I don't know. Okay, I'm ignorant on this. Maybe they would sift through it and there'd be some seeds undigested. Okay, okay, I don't know. That's what the King James says. And can it get worse? It actually does. Verse 28, they wanted to devour their little children to satisfy their stomachs. They were consuming their own children. Now, before we pick up rocks and start throwing it their direction, actually, I see strangely some similarities to the 21st century we live in today. I believe our culture is consuming our children too. Not in the same way, obviously. But there's a consumption of our children in today's, a selfish culture that is about me, a culture that is self-satisfying, a culture that throws out illicit sex, illicit substance abuse, that throws out music and entertainment, consuming our children. Oh, beloved, we have to put walls around that, protect our kids, because we are living in a culture that is consuming our children and spitting them up as though dead later. Lost spiritually for eternity. So, could it get worse? <laughs> well, you can always think it might. It could. That's what they were doing. Donkeys had dove dung and eating children inside the city. Now, what will happen if you're a leper and you're on the outside of the city and you depend on the compassion of the people inside the city? You're a leper and you, your living is by begging for food. Now, you can't beg for food because they're not coming in and out of the city. There's an army that has laid siege, so they've locked the city down. So you're a beggar on the, you're a, you're a leper on the outside. You can't go inside. The army's going to leave you alone because you're a leper. You're separated as a leper. You can't get into the city. And then the dumpsters, you got leftover donkey head, dove dung, leftover. So can it get worse? I per perhaps if you're a leper living on the outside of the city. Now this is the context of the story. A real story taking place here in 2 Kings. We slide into chapter 7, verse 3. It's where we pick it up. Let's read it. 2 Kings 7, 3. And there were four leprous men at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to one another, Why sit here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, the famine is in the city. And we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore come, 
let us fall into the hosts of the Syrians. The Syrians were the army, the army that had gathered all around the city to attack the city. Let us fall into the host of these Syrians. If they spare us, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. Kind of a simple philosophy there, isn't it? If they kill us, they kill us. If they don't, they don't. Okay, not really complicated. These four lepers are starving to death anyway. And they felt you really have nothing to lose here. It's a dead end anyway. Leprosy back in that day had no cure. It was a slow death, but a sure death. They were basically saying, we've got nothing to lose. Here we are. We are in but rags, skin and bone, rags, separated. There's nothing for us here. There's nothing in the city. We'll fall on the Syrian army. They can do with us what they want. It brings me to my principle number one. It's always a principle in this. Principle number one, when you're down to nothing, God is usually up to something. Mark it down. When you're down to nothing, but it often requires you to get there. When you're down to nothing, God is usually up to something. So the sun sets, the four lepers are gathering their tattered robes together, their bloodied bandage, their diseased feet, and they begin on their stumps to make their way towards the enemy camp. The siege, had, the siege against that city had been for some time. And God had been looking for someone who would march into that enemy camp and take back what had been stolen. But God couldn't find someone. God needed someone who knew that they had nothing to lose. You see, when we are called to go into the enemy camp, when we are called to take back what God has promised for us, when we're called to return, it requires guts. It requires a lot of guts. And it requires us to march into areas that most people are afraid to go. Don't expect you to have a crowd with you when you go. Because they won't. God was waiting for somebody who had nothing to lose, and he found them. He found them. Ironically, you are most dangerous when you have nothing to lose. You are most dangerous. Luke chapter 4, 24, or sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 24. For whoever desires to save their life, I'll actually lose it. But whoever actually loses their life for my sake, Jesus said, you'll save it. If you, if you lay your life down for me, you'll actually save it. But if it's all about you, if it's about you trying to hold on to your life and you and your rights, your privileges, you'll lose everything. Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. That's why the Apostle Paul was so powerfully used of God. So, the first point. When you're down to nothing, God is usually up to something. Hmm, that's good to mark it down. You might be saying, well, I'm there. Let's go to point number two. My second principle is this. When we step out in promise, so does God. He requires you to step out in promise. You don't receive the blessing while you're still waiting. If you wait for things to change, it often won't. When you step out in faith, when you haven't yet seen the results, that's faith, and God steps with you, not ahead of you, with you. As you step out in promise, so as if he had spoken to you, if that's thus, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1, or chapter 1, the first few verses. If you return to me, you'll see me move. But if you refuse to return to me, nothing changes. That was the condition. When we step on a promise, so does God. So those lepers started marching. And apparently, so did God. 
How do we know God started marching? Well, when they started to make their way toward the Syrian camp, in the Syrian camp, the scripture tells us it sounded like a whole army was coming. It's just four lepers. Four lepers. So when we make the statement, when you step out to the promise, so does God. When God steps out, he can make your steps sound pretty big. Not until they started towards the camp did they begin to hear hundreds of footsteps coming. And they were sure they were coming. And they took off scared. The entire army hightailed it out of there. Four lepers. Four le- it's so funny. Four lepers sounded like an entire army coming. Now, I imagine they scuffled their feet. I imagine they didn't, you know, they didn't do the heel to the toe thing, you know, because they're lepers. But God moved on their behalf. Isn't that amazing? God moved on their behalf. God could have used four great leaders in the city. He could have used the king's officials. He could have used the great men. He could have used high-end knights to go into the enemy camp. But he didn't. He used four lepers. And as they approached the camp of the Syrians, the Syrians started hearing things, and they took off. God, if you would, amplified their feats to sound like many. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 10, Paul testifies, he says, For when I am weak, God makes me strong. My weakness is stronger than my enemy's strength when God amplifies it. I'm going to say that again. My weakness is stronger than my enemy's strength when God's behind it. He turns those things around. We see that. You remember another story? It was in Judges chapter 6. Remember the story? The guy's name was, anybody want to throw that out? Gideon. His name was Gideon. And Gideon was 300 foot soldiers. 300. Against 135,000. Pretty big ratio difference. And God did the very same thing. When 300 step out in God's promise, no matter how difficult it might be, My weakness is stronger than my enemy's strength when God amplifies it. Gideon stepped out and God did the very same thing. He amplified the sound of their feet. I want to bring another point across and it's this. Start marching towards the promise. Start marching towards the return. Start turning. There comes a point where you have to begin. God has for you. Why are you waiting? If you're waiting for somebody to join you, don't. If you're waiting for a husband to join you, that'd be nice, but don't. If you're waiting for your wife to join you, that'd be nice, but don't. It's up to you to go after God's promises. If you're waiting for mother, a father, if you're waiting for someone else, if God has stirred your heart to pursue him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, with all your understanding, then pursue him. Move schedules aside. Move things aside. Pursue him with all your heart. We all need to come to that point when we're fed up with dying. And we throw before the Lord everything that's left. We get up. And in absolute biblical obedience, we go after God. So let's go back to our story, 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 8. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and drank and carried away silver, gold, and clothes and went off and hid them. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it happened just two chapters back. They hid them. They returned. There's the word return. They returned and entered another tent, took some things, and hit it. Hey, let's talk about this for a second. The lepers come into the camp. The camp is empty. Everybody rushed out with the clothes on their back. 
and they helped themselves to the food. They were starving, helped themselves to the food, ate, drank, ate, drank, ate, drank, ate, drank, stuffed. Now look at all the gold. There's gold and silver and jewelry, all the stuff around. The clothes, they were in lepers' clothes. They had rags. Put out those new clothes on top. Woohoo! look at this. And, and we, in case they come back, let's, let's take this. And so they took them out and they dug a hole, hid them. Came back, ate more, drank more, more clothes, more jewels, more gold, more silver. Carry that on out. Hide that too. Can you picture, picture how this is going? That's how they were doing it. The lepers. Imagine all this stuff on them. And in the middle of them doing this, here's what happens in the story. In the middle of them doing this, suddenly one of them stops. And out of nowhere says to his companions, guys, I've got a bad feeling about this. Guys, I got a bad feeling. Changing direction always begins with that moment of realization we're not doing right. You see, they are going about their job of stealing. They're going about hiding things. They're going about hoarding. They're going about looking after them. Somewhere along the way, one of them comes into a moment of insight, realization we're not doing right. This comes back to this text found when we get to our third point. And the third point is this. A hoarding, hiding mentality is not the will of a sharing, caring God. It's not about us. It's about how we give. Ask the Israelites in the wilderness about hoarding, what it was like a way back, you know, back in Exodus. How did it go for you guys when you hoarded? How did it go when manna came from heaven every day? And you said, whoa, this is really good. And you took something, you hit it. And the next day you got up, what happened? It didn't turn out well. Hoarding, hiding mentality is not the will of a sharing, caring God. 2 Kings 7, 9. They said to each other, we're not doing right. This is the day of good news. And we're keeping it to us. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go now. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Now, the royal palace had kicked them out of the city. Remember, this is painful for them. They were lepers. They were not allowed in the city. Let's go to the royal palace. What we're doing is not right. What we're doing is not right. This isn't right. One of the lepers come to the conviction. This isn't good. Now, let's pause frame here. They were hiding their goods. Now, I asked you, do you remember that story from last week? If you go back just two chapters to chapter 5, Gehazi, that's what he was doing. Remember, Gehazi took the goods and he hid them. And then he went to the man of God and got found out and got leprosy. Now, where did Gehazi go after he got leprosy? He's no longer allowed in the city. His grown children have leprosy too. Interestingly enough, that Rabbi Jehanan and many of the Jewish writings attribute, he wrote, writes in the Jewish encyclopedia, he states the four lepers at the gate announcing Sennacherib's defeat was Gehazi and his three sons. Now we're not told for sure, but we are told that Gehazi had full, full pronounced leprosy two chapters before. Gehazi's kicked out of the city, leprosy you are, and his family. But when we get to the next chapter, chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, Gehazi's in the presence of the king, leprosy free. 
And last week we talked of how the seven-year return, there was a seven-year famine, but there was a great return. Somewhere Gehazi came back into return. Where was it? What's the picture here? So now we have this story of these four lepers walking out into the enemy camp at God's blessing. The enemy flees from them, and they start hiding, kind of like his old nature. Start hiding things until you come and say, no, deja vu. It doesn't end well. Tracking? It doesn't end well. No, we need to go and make this right. We need to go immediately to the king. See, I believe if Gehazi had answered correctly back to Elisha in chapter 5 when he was asked, where were you? And Gehazi said, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against Naaman. And I need to make it right. He would never have had leprosy in the first place. But he didn't. He hid it. You can't hide from God. And so here's the situation. We're not doing right. We're not doing right. The lepers are looking at this saying, it's not right for us to enjoy food. They're, they're dying back there in the city. It's not right for us to be taking this. Here's the good news. The good news is we all get to take the test again. Don't you like it when you were in school and you got to take a test again? I don't know if any of you ever needed it. You blew something. But the teacher with grace and mercy comes along and says, okay, study next time and I'll let you take it again. I'll drop maybe 10% off your top grade, but you get to take it again. I mean, the, the, the goal is for you to learn something, not to walk away in defeat. Okay, that's the goal of a teacher. And the goal of God is not to beat us up. The goal of God is not to die in leprosy. The goal of God has always been, would you return? I'll give you another chance if you'll return. I'll give you another. You can take the test again. Again, as long as you have a pulse, you can take that test. The goal is, can and will you come back? The bad news is it might take seven years. It took seven years for this to happen, for Gehazi to have this return. For the Israelites back in the land of, 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 when they walked out of the land of slavery and they were wandering around in the barren wilderness, they had a chance within three months, they could have been from slavery into the promised land, within three months. They sent out spies into the promised land. The spies came back. The majority of the spies, all they could see was the negative. All they could see was, no, it's not going to work for us. They couldn't march into the promise. Two of them, Joshua, Caleb, was saying, no, we got to march into the promise. Yeah, they're kind of big over there, but God is with us. No, I know they got a lot of food, and they're really intimidating, really big walls that we've never seen like that before. But God is with us. Reminder, God is with us. But they refused. So a whole generation died. The older generation who made that decision would die 40 years in that wilderness, get buried there in that desert barren land, and their children had a new opportunity to take the test again. 40 years they would go into the promised land that time. If you do not quit, you cannot fail. If you do not quit, you cannot fail. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't let your heart turn away. Now, Maybe we need to tell somebody this. Maybe we need to demonstrate this to others. Don't quit. I have a principle here. It's called the put it back principle. The put it back principle. Anytime you take anything out of God's hands, he will let you have it. I'm going to say that again. Anytime you take anything out of his hands, you take from God, you take out of his hands, he will let you have it. But on the other hand, 
He will take care of anything you put into his hands. You can choose to try to live life with it in your hands, or you could choose to give it to him and watch what he will do with it. Returning is giving it to him, giving my son, my daughter to him, giving my job or my lack of employment to him, giving my health situation to him, giving my spiritual desert to him. Oh God, I'm not going to simply wallow in this. I give it to you, I cry out to you, I rend my heart to you. God, I put it into your hands because in your hands it gets solved. But if I take it, Ah, it's all you get. It's up to you then to make it work. Good luck with that. Good luck with it. The difference is, if it is a gift from God, when God blesses us with stuff, receive it with thanksgiving. If it is something reserved for the Lord, don't you touch it. If it's something reserved for the Lord, don't you claim it. If it's something reserved for the Lord, stop coveting it. Stop manipulating but put it back and watch God bless. Our children, our jobs, our finances. Watch God bless. So let's go back to our text. 2 Kings 7, 9. They said to each other, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Note this part here. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. I want to pause again here and I want to jump into the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 17, verse 11. I'm going to jump right into it. Jesus, on his way to Jerusalem, was traveling along a border between Samaria and Galilee. Note Samaria. Matter of fact, this is exactly where they were 500 years before. Jesus is traveling on the very same area that we read of the story in 2 Kings. Let's pick it up again. Verse 12. As Jesus was going into a village, 10 men who had, guess what, leprosy. Here's leprosy again. Ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance. They couldn't come close. They weren't allowed to. They called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Now watch this last part. As they went... They were cleansed. If they continued to remain in their place, continuing to beg for other people coming by, it's safe to say they never would have been cleansed. Jesus says, I want you to turn around and go to the priest. Now, the priest had also rejected them. They were going to the inner core pain areas of their life. Go back to the priest. Now, the priest would have to identify that they're clean and then they would be allowed back in the city. But to go back means humiliation. To go back means facing rejection. To go back means facing all the horrors of going back there is all about. Those people have hurt you. Those people could turn their backs on you again. What if you're not clean by the time you get there? Jesus says, go back. And the story is, they turned around and they went back. And as they went, they were clean. Faith requires action. Always has, always will. Requires action. You can't just stand and get faith. Faith requires you to do something. To do something. To step out. To march forward. To claim the promise. To go back in this situation. So we have the situation here of Jesus and the lepers. So let's go back to our story again in 2 Kings. A couple of things. The one that was healed was from Samaria, the same place where the miracle of these Old Testament lepers. And as they went, note, it's when you come back to the place 
let's go at once and report to this to the royal palace, something happens, just as it happened 500 years later when 10 lepers come to Jesus and he says, go. And as they went, something happened. And here's the point we're making. There is a process to obedience. There's a process. Obedience is not a given. Obedience requires action. There is a process from here to there of obedience. And the enemy of your soul will get you off the path between here and there so that you don't receive it. And that's the journey you and I are on today. From here to there, there's a process of return. There's a process of revival. There's a process of renewal of heart. There's a process of God restoring his blessings upon you and your generation. There's a process from here to there. And as you begin to move, that process is key. The process of obedience. Naaman, the process was dip in the Jordan River seven times. Naaman, you can dip in any other river all you want. Nothing will happen. But Naaman, you have to go to the Jordan River. That was, the, that, was, that was the word for you. And Naaman, if you stopped at six, is it safe to say he wouldn't get it? And if you just kept dipping, you thought that you know, seven's good, 14's double. Probably wouldn't have got it. He didn't say eight, 10, 14. He said seven. You do what God says. Oftentimes we're asking for more and we haven't done what was given. And so he says, go to Naaman, go dip seven times. And when he did, he received. The lepers, the ten lepers, Jesus said, you got to go back towards the priests. If you go that way, this way, this way, that's the way of the miracle. Does it make sense? It doesn't have to make sense. It requires faith in him. And so as they went towards the priests, they were healed. Both cases, Naaman, the lepers, rejection, humiliation, could keep their feet from moving forward and doing nothing. Like the four lepers who went to the king, who did not initially believe them. The story continues to go on. We, we see that going back to the king, there's a risk of people who don't believe you, and that will happen. But listen, the potential for restoration is worth facing the risk of rejection. The potential for restoration is worth facing the risk of rejection. Whatever turns my heart to seek God, to seek His promise and seek His will and way for my life, there will not be, we said earlier, there will not be a big multitude that will follow you. And some of those potentially closest to you won't either. But here I, I say the potential for restoration is worth facing the risk of that rejection. So don't be surprised when people say, I've heard all this before. It really doesn't work out that way. One of the things that deeply impacted Lori and myself 20 years ago and then has every year since that stirred our hearts when we went to a communist country in which our church is linked in missions endeavor. In that communist country where churches were illegal, before the service ever began, the service would begin at often, I think it was like 11 o'clock is when their services often on Sunday mornings began. When we would arrive, and sometimes we, we lived on the premise, we would hear at the point where the sun broke the horizon, it sounded like church had already begun. And I remember the first time I was running down, I was staying at the pastor's place, and, and going down to find out, wow, we're late, you know, like when, what time does church start here in this country? Illegal at that. What time does it start? And it, it was like, I, I don't know what it was, 7 o'clock or so. And they were, you could, you could hear the voices before you got there. And I went and I looked through the window. The windows are all open. There's no window panes. The windows are all open. Look through the windows. 
And the place was half full at 7 to 8 o'clock in the morning. People on their knees crying out for God. And, and it's like, when does it start? So I began to ask around. All oh, the service doesn't start for hours. These people have walked here while it was still dark to pray. And then it filled up. The place was packed to the back. People praying for an extended time before. Now, these were some ladies, many women, men there too, and children. Not all were on the knees. Some were walking. Somebody grabbed a hold of the microphone, cranked it up, went to distortion, and just began to pray, and everybody began. And it, you could just hear the, it was coming through the windows of that church. It was going out into their neighborhood, people praying for their service. But what got me was this was cement floors, and the women were kneeling on cement floors with their bare knees. They had skirts and dresses on, with their bare knees. And I was like, oh, it looks so painful. It's painful for me to kneel on carpet let alone on cement floor and bare knee. And then the service began. And when the service began at 11 o'clock, it's like all heaven broke loose. It's like, wow, faith generated. People were in the spirit. I remember the same pastor of that church. He was also the, the superintendent of that country of the Pentecostal assemblies. Was visiting our place in Canada him and his wife, gone to a prayer meeting. And the question he had was, why does anybody go to prayer meetings in Canada? In prayer meetings, nobody shows up. He says, they, they showed up Sunday morning, but they didn't come to prayer. Why, why is that? And honestly, I didn't know the answer. I came up with some stuff. It's because like, we're really busy here. You know, like we got a lot of things going on. And, and it's hard getting the family together. You know, and, get, and I was working out why, why? Because, you know, it's some of my reasons too. Why? But his question, why don't, why don't it come to prayer meetings? And so I began to put pieces together. It didn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the reason you have revival is because you've counted the cost to get there. The process was absolute obedience to get there. And if you decide not to follow that process, you don't get the result. You just don't. It's not in the making. Because a heart, remember, God doesn't work through the pompous. He doesn't work through the eloquent. He doesn't work simply through those who have. Not because they have. He works through a broken heart. Now, a Zacchaeus can have a broken heart. A Naaman can have a broken heart. A king can have a broken heart. King David before God. A heart that is rent before him and receive all of God's blessing. But it requires the broken heart. It requires a heart that is rent after the heart of God. And so you have these lepers there's nothing to gain. They're at the end of their life. That's why they went into this enemy camp. That's why they obeyed and went and saw God's provision. And God multiplied their efforts. But in the midst of that, there was a stirring of a heart. A stirring that had to risk the fear of going back into a city. A stirring that said, this isn't right. This isn't good. Doing this just for us guys, boys, sons, yeah, our bellies are full. We're pretty happy right now. We got enough hidden away. But there's people dying back there. That's not about us. It's about them. And by them going back, God moves in power. Let's close. At the beginning of what we began to talk here in 2 Kings chapter 7, before we even got into our verse 24 on, uh, Elisha had prophesied to the nation of Samaria that they would go into seven years famine. This is the period that we found the lepers in. 
But he had also gone to the king at that time and said, King, not, not at that time, but it was during the famine. He'd gone to the king and he said to the king, the king was complaining, saying, we're all dying. Man of God, we're all dying. Man of God, we're dying. It was like his prayer. We're dying. What's God going to do about it? And Elisha says, actually, God is going to do something about it. Within a 24-hour period of time, you'll go from absolute poverty to overflowing luxury within 24 hours. He said that. And in chapter 7, verse 2, it says, The officer on whom, whose arm the king was leaning said to the man of God, Look, even if the Lord should open the floodgates of heaven, could this happen? He mocked him. So Elisha, the man of God, said to the king, King, within a 24-hour period, God's going to turn this from a place where people are starving, eating donkey head, dove dung, and their kids. They're going to go from having their bellies full and having luxury galore within 24 hours. And the person, the aide next to the king, laughed and mocked at it. Now, I just pause here. Don't always expect those around you to have faith. Many will mock. But Elisha turns to him and says, no, no, really, you'll, you, you'll see it with your own eyes. Then Elijah goes one step farther. But you won't eat any of it. You'll see it just to prove it. But it's not for you. <laughs> well, when the Samaritans learn, the lepers went back into the city. I'll just tell the rest of the story. They go back to the city. They tell the king. And the people discover, indeed it's true, that everything the army had brought in, they'd left. Food galore. Um, uh, money, silver, gold, clothing galore, all there for your taking. When the city discovered it was true, it said there was a stampede out of the city. There are starving people. There was a stampede out of the city. And in the stampede, guess who got trampled? The king's aide got killed. He saw it, but he got trampled before he got there. He was trampled on the way there. Well, guess what? It's not all bad news. There's a position in the court open now. There's a position beside the king that is opened up. The guy's dead. Now we go to chapter 8, verse 4. Gehazi, the leper, is before the king. And the king asks him, Gehazi, tell me the story of the Shunammite woman and her miraculous son. And he tells the story, and the woman shows up. Here's the point. The point is, God... When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. The point is, is when you step out and promise, so does God. The point is, is hoarding, hiding mentality is not the will of a sharing, caring God. And the point is, God's grace allows you to retake the test and return. I think that's what we find ourselves. A place of, will I return? Returning to God. Returning with my whole heart. Returning with my whole soul. Back to the place of God. This story, and we don't know for sure it's Gehazi. We don't know for sure. They believe it could have been, and it could have been. But we know he was restored. A person who failed the first time. He hid things, didn't go well, got leprosy. But had a second chance. And the second chance came to the place of, guys, this isn't right. We need to go and do right. And by doing right, takes a position next to the king. What a beautiful picture of God's restoration plan for you and for I.
Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.